your Bibles out, and we're going to get ready uh, this morning to break a little bit of the Word of God and um, see if we can open our spirit to His Word. I always say this, probably, you know, beat an old drum, but His Word is a, it is a light to our path, lamp unto our path, a light unto our feet. It opens the doors of our spirit, sheds light upon us. I had a vision many, many years ago. I'll take my coat off here. I can't preach good in a coat, so I have to. You want me to preach good, right? So, and years ago, I had this vision. I haven't had many, but in this vision, I was not asleep, it was not a dream, but it was just something that I saw in my spirit. And I saw a, a line of rooms. That was strange, a line of rooms. And lights in those rooms, and I knew that I had been there. In each one of those rooms that I had come forward and forward and forward and forward and forward. And, and the Lord just showed me, you've got a long ways to go. There's a lot more places in the Lord that you don't know. You have experienced some great things. You've come to some places in your life. And I think everybody here can say that. Amen. You've come to places in your life. And the place that you're in right now, it, it, it's good. God is enlightening that in your life. But there's so much more we don't know. There's so much more of his goodness. Now, that's unorthodox. If we, I mean, we can, we can go, I don't want to name, you know, let's just say Baptist and Pentecostal. Nobody takes offense. We have ex-Baptists here. We have ex-Pentecost here. <laughs> I mean, as far as a movement. And they will say that, that this is the crowning glory, that you stop here, that you... The Bible is that which is perfect. Well, we know the Word of God is perfect. But the one who wrote the Word of God is more perfect than anything. Can you say amen? And so we can stop there and say, you know, that's, that's, that's the end. And then, of course, you've got over on Pentecostal side where you get to a certain place in spirit, and that's the end. But I want you to know this morning that there is no end to the goodness of God. There's no end to the knowledge of Him. There's nobody in this room here that knows it all. We're learners. Can you say amen? Disciples of Jesus Christ, constantly learning, constantly coming forward, learning of Him to be His disciple. Amen. I want to do something this morning that I don't normally do. I want to read out of the Old Testament. We're going to take text out of the Old Testament this morning. I don't something I don't do a lot. But um, Lord just kind of dropped this in my heart. If you would go with me to the book of Exodus, and I want to look in the third chapter. This is the story, the event, not just a story, but an event. Of Moses in the uh, wilderness. He has fled from 
Egypt. You know, he was raised there in the Pharaoh's house. He is now married to Jethro's daughter. The first verse said that Jethro is his father-in-law, and he's a priest in Midian. I don't know what kind of priest he is, but he's a priest in Midian. And Moses is on the backside of the desert tending sheep. And something fantastic is going to happen in this third chapter. You read the fifth verse. And the fourth verse said, And there was a burning bush, and the voice of the Lord called out of that burning bush. And Moses said, Here am I. And the fifth verse said, And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And slip down here to the 13th verse with me. I'll read the 13th and the 14th. And, and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto him, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, If you have King James Version, it's going to say, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Lord, we just ask you now at the reading of your word. Here's an old thing. Lord, this goes way back. But I think there's something here that, that you can minister to us. And so we ask you, Lord, as we open the bread of life this morning that we eat at your table, that you would refresh us and renew us and strengthen us. Strengthen our faith, our sight, Lord, to see you in your goodness and your glory. And we ask it, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Everyone say amen. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you for a little while about take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Now, I don't want anybody here this morning to take your shoes off. We're, we're, we're not going to, you know, I've, I've been in those services. How many of you have been in an old, good old foot washing? <laughs> All right, now I'm going to call for those Pentecostals. Me and Kay and Heather. <laughs> and a few others, a few others, okay. Good old foot washing. I'm not against them, but we're not doing it this morning. But let's talk about shoes just a little bit. Shoes sometimes resemble dirtiness. That's why in some cultures they remove their shoes before they enter a house. Some remove their shoes before they enter a place of worship. Um, I think probably coming into the house, just customary more than anything else. Your feet is dirty. Uh, there's stuff, you know, depending on where you've walked and what you've done. Uh, I noticed that my, some of my kids do that when they come over and 
and take their shoes off. And that's okay. You take your shoes off. You can leave them on if you want to. You can take them off. I looked to see if possibly Israel, maybe when they came to worship, came to the temple that they took their shoes off. But uh, it doesn't record that they did that. But however, the priest, on some occasions, when they went to minister, would take their shoes off. Now, some people just like not wearing shoes. We've got a few in this congregation. I'm not going to name you. You know who you are. Don't like to wear shoes that much. Nothing wrong with that. I found out when I was a little kid that it's good for me because I just kept stubbing my toes. Anybody ever have a stubbed toe? Buddy, that hurts. My little grandson, uh, he just takes his shoes off and runs across the gravel driveway. And I'm just going, ow, that's got to hurt. That little Hudson, I'm, I'm not sure he's even aware that it does hurt. Shoes are worn for protection. Protect our feet. Um, I've thought about this a lot back in that time. In fact, the, probably the clarity of what God said to, to Moses was, take your sandals off. They wore a lot of sandals. But I just can't get with that in the snow. That's, I need more than that. In the freezing cold, I just, you know, I'm going, we're going out there tomorrow, and it may snow. It's really cold. I'm not wearing sandals. Heather, I'm not wearing flip-flops. And, uh, but shoes make possible opportunities of travel for us. Uh, you wouldn't want to travel, go long distances then without shoes. And it does make possible the function of work for us. A lot of you in different places have been required to wear a certain kind of shoe for work, uh, steel-toed boots, um, just a lot of different things. And you wear the proper shoe for the proper job. And if I'm working inside, I'm just wearing tennis shoes. And if I'm working outside, most of the time we'll wear boots. And if we're working in concrete, you need to get some concrete boots. It's just not tennis shoes don't work in that. But shoes are, and it's funny because they just mean something to us. Shoes can be a cultural thing. Shoes can be um, a status symbol. I've seen them, and you have too. And they're coming out of the hood, and their pants are about down to there, and they've got an old saggy T-shirt on, but they've got $200 tennis shoes on. And they got holes in their britches and all of that. But they got the $200, you know, Air Jordan or whatever it is, tennis shoes on. And that, I'll tell you what, that's classy. If you just have the shoes, forget the rest of it. Moses hears a voice from the Lord. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Years ago, uh, the brother that wrote Holy Ground. I like that song, We Are Standing on Holy Ground. And, and so I, I begin to wonder just a little bit about what made it holy. I'm sure that Moses has come by this many times. He has his sheep out there. He's, 
he's shepherding them. They're wandering. He's going collecting them. And I'm sure there's an area. He's just not over, you know, hundreds of miles wandering around. But, but they have an area there where they keep their sheep. Moses has been by here possibly numbers of times. But this time, something is different about where he's at, what's going on. I'm going to have to say that it's the manifested presence of Yahweh God that made the ground holy. One of the things that, that we've done with church, we've done with religious things, uh, many religions of the world have these little holy spots that they've got to get to. I think the Jews did that with the temple. They did it first with the tabernacle. They did it with the temple. They did it with the feast days. And to them, those things became holy. A church is not holy. This concrete is not holy ground. This building and the atmosphere here is not holy. There's only one thing that could possibly make it holy, and that is the manifested presence of the Lord God. Because where He is, that's where things are holy. It's not the things that we deem to be holy or, or things that we think are just really, really religious to us and we make those things holy and precious. But it really is the presence of the Lord. And in this case, I believe it's more than just the presence of the Lord, but there is this intention and this motive of God to reveal Himself to His servant Moses. The most holy time that you can ever come into is when the Lord reveals Himself. I've been in revivals. I have been in shouting services. I've been, oh my goodness, in my lifetime, I can't tell you the thousands of meetings that I've been in. And some have been great and some have been good. We were sitting out there the other night on that property by that bonfire, and I said to myself, I have never felt the presence of God any more better or stronger than I do right now. It's just not in the running and jumping. It's not in the music and getting everything all in line. We can get the spiritual stars lined up, then wow, we're going to have a great service. No. When God manifests His presence and reveals Himself to us, there is nothing greater on the face of the earth than that. You can shout and jump, and I am not against that. Sometimes I jump. Sometimes I feel like a, just letting go a shout out of my spirit. And, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when your feet hit the ground, and I've said this about people, we've prayed for people and they've gone down. Nobody has here, but I'm not against somebody falling out. We used to call it slain in the spirit. And I'm not against that. But while you're down there, something needs to be happening other than that you're on the floor. If there isn't a revelation of the Spirit of God, a manifestation of His presence in your life, then you've just taken up floor space. And that's how religious we get. If I can get somewhere where people are going down on the floor, bless God, then we're going to be there. 
well, it's going to happen. If I can find the next revival, what I need to do is really search out the next great move and get in that move, get in that river, get, get experience that. And there may be some good times in that, but I want to let you know this, that that river is only as good as the presence of God revealing himself to your life. What I found out a long time ago is that I don't have to travel to Florida to some revival. I don't have to travel to an airport in Ontario, Canada. All I have to do is travel down to where the feet of Jesus are. All I have to do is get myself before Him, and He will begin to reveal His goodness and presence in my life. We try and make that that scenario happen, and we can't do it ourselves. But the Lord, He has promised to be with us, and if we will honor Him, and if we will make ourselves open to Him, and praise and worship Him, then He comes in the midst, and what He does in the midst, you may not see a fire kindled and burning up here, and a bush that's not consumed, but I'm not looking for a bush that is not consumed. I'm looking for the manifest presence of the Lord God in my spirit. It's going to take me farther than a, than a fantastic thing that I can see in the earth. Everybody follow me? Say amen. So Moses, you need to remove that which is between you and the ground of fresh revelation of God. You got that? There's something between him and the holy ground. That's his shoes. So, you won't get this. You don't get the revelation of God. You don't get the manifest presence of God when there are things between you and Him. Well, in this case, it was just shoes. And, and, and I think it's, it's a parable. That which is done in the Old Testament is a parable. Somebody needs to say, man, I preached that so long and so hard. That which is done in the Old Testament is not the real. It is a type, a shadow, looking forward to the real. And so we look at this. I can simply tell you this morning, there was something between Moses and a revelation and the Lord said, you're not going to get this in your usual modus operandi. And, and let me tell you this, church, all around us, I'm going to speak to this in just, just a minute, but around us we have figured out an order of church. We figured out how to do it. We figured out the songs. We, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Pentecostal or anything in between. We have figured out how God wants it, and we have operated in that way, and we've done our thing, and without respect to what really God wanted to do in our life, He's not here just so that we can worship. He's here to reveal Himself to His people. And so we constantly get up on a Sunday morning, we take the Word of God, and we look at this because our usual same old, same old modus operandi is not going to get us a revelation of Jesus Christ. In order for Moses to act as a servant of God, there's a couple things he has to know. He needs to know what he needs to do. Now, 
I like to consider myself a servant. I go out in the morning and say, God, I just want to be a servant before you. How many of you realize that, that, that that's all you need to be? You don't need to be a worldwide evangelist. You don't need to be this great man and woman of power. What you need to be is a servant, right? And we go out and say, but we can't serve if we don't know what to do. And so Moses, he needs to understand what it is that he needs to do. And so the Lord begins to tell him, I want you to go to uh, speak to your brethren in Israel and tell them that the Lord God has heard their prayers and that he's come to their rescue. And I want you to tell them to get ready. Tell the elders of Israel. And then secondly, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. So Moses, in between where we read this morning, he understands the commission. But understanding the commission is not enough. Lord, when I get there, they're going to ask me. See, he knows his brethren. They're going to ask me, who sent you here? And what am I going to tell them? What am I going to tell them? Who sent me? One thing is, this is, this is really peculiar, if, if you didn't know this, that God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he didn't reveal to them what he revealed to Moses. It's this ongoing revelation of God. And so he can go tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob sent me down here to deliver you, but there's still going to be questions about that. How do we know that he sent you? And so Moses has this question in his mind, and he's asking God. He knows the, the, the chore now. He knows the commission now. He just doesn't know how to approach it. And so God has got to give him something before he ever goes down there to speak, before he ever goes to Pharaoh, before he ever goes to the elders of Israel. Moses must know himself who's sending him. And so later, later on, Moses would write this in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, which Yeshua repeated in Mark 12. Uh, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohinu, Yahweh Akkad. But at this time, Moses has no idea of the Shema. And we love the Shema here. Can you say amen? Hear, O Israel. And we've got to take Israel. We are spiritual Israel. What Paul said, who is Israel? It is those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so we are spiritual Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, is one God. Can you say amen? He's just one. And that is what Moses will encounter, Moses will begin to know, but it starts on this day with the bush. His first real encounter with God is going to be his name and who he is. See, before this time, He's raised in Pharaoh's house. He's got a lot of experience with the children of Israel, but he doesn't have any personal experience and revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I told you last week, there's one place that the enemy is going to try and destroy and attack your life, and that is your revelation of Christ. And you're not going to do anything in the kingdom without a revelation of Christ. And, and you're going to get nowhere in your life working for him and his commission without a revelation in your life. So up until this time, 
Moses doesn't know. He's, he just knows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God said, I'm going to do something different than you coming to church and knowing about church and, and knowing about singing and knowing about preaching. What I'm going to do for you is I'm going to give you a personal revelation of who I am. And when I do that, you're going to be equipped then to carry out what I've asked you to do. There's a lot of people trying to serve the Lord out here. They just don't know Him. Uh, let me give you the Scripture in verse 4 that. Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils? Did we not do great works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, He won't question whether they did works or not. What He will question is, He said, I don't know who you are. You did a lot of working. You did a lot of servant stuff. You did a lot of church services. I just, I don't know who you are. Because you've never had the personal revelation of who Jesus is. Don't try and serve Him unless you have a personal revelation of who He is. That's going to come first in your life. Is everybody okay? We're a little quiet this morning. We might have to stand up and do some exercises. I don't know. I'm ready if you are. We'll do jumping jacks. But until we get a revelation of our Christ, we can't serve our Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? Until we, have, until we know who's sending us, what are we doing out there? There's some who were sent, and there's some who just went. And I don't want to be one of those who just went. The word apostle, which was the end of 12 disciples, wasn't the beginning, it was the end. The word apostle really means to stop and be trained so you can be sent. Not just come up in front, we'll throw some oil on you. And you're going to be anointed and ready to go. No, no, no. It's not going to work. I've seen too many of those people go out and come back defeated. See, we're not victorious in oil. We're not victorious in Bible memorization. Well, watch out now. If I can get the right verse and the right scripture for every situation. No, no, no. Uh -uh. You're not ready for service until you know the one who calls you to serve. Moses, I want you to go down and do a great thing. I want you to deliver those people. But Moses cannot do that until he knows who it is that's sending him to do that. And God said to Moses, I am that which I am. How do you like that name? What's your name? My name is I am who I am. Well, who are you? I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Well, that's a great name. I'm going to go down to Israel and tell them that I will be what I will be has sent me. Yeah, that's going to do the job. I am. But let's refine it just a little bit further. The eternal, self-existing God, Yahweh. That's who I am. 
I don't need a name like George and Joe, and we've treated the name of Jesus like that. It's just another name. There's a lot of Hispanic people who have the name Jesus, and, and, but I'm not going for, for just Jesus. I'm going for uh, Yeshua, God, who became salvation for us. There's something about that name. There's something about I am that's different than any other name. Because you don't get to be what you want to be. You don't get to be who you will be. But God is who he is. And he will ever be whatever he wants to be. Can the church say amen? So his name does not limit him. We think about the limitations that we put on what we do and, and as far as we can go. But God never even limited him, himself with a name because in that name, he can do anything that he wants to do. He can do it yesterday. He can do it today. He can do it forever. His name is not limited. His power is not limited. His thought and idea and logos is not limited. He has open-ended power, open-endedness of eternity. Before him, there is nothing to hold him in. Can you say amen? And so he's not just going to give him a name like Joe. Thank God he doesn't go under Joe. Amen. I've had enough of that. But Moses, Hebrews, the third chapter and the fifth verse, Moses became the faithful servant of God. Moses became the faithful servant because once he got the revelation of who God is, you might think this morning, that's just not so important. All I need, I just need to read the Bible. Well, that's good. You need to read the Bible. The Bible brings us to Him. The Bible doesn't bring us to the Bible. It brings us to the author of the Bible. And I can construe those words and make them... You could take the Bible and you can make it say anything you want it to say, and it will unless you know Him. But if you know the author, the Spirit, and the Word, they agree, and you begin to get in line. There is no greater revelation. You won't find greater revelation in the Bible than this, this revelation of who Jesus is, who, who our Christ is, who our God is. This is the revelation that the church is missing in this hour. It's the revelation that this nation is missing in this hour they can't find righteousness because they can't find the king of righteousness we're going to vote and put righteousness back in place how's that working I'm going to stick with the king of righteousness amen he knows how to do all things well so again now now this is this is the, if we say uh, this is the light part of this Listen, everything in the Old Testament was done as example of something that the Lord was going to do in the New Testament. How many believes that? I just said it. How many? We're going to get those hands up there. How many believes that this morning? And most of you got your hands up. You're too tired. You just nodded. Well, I'd like to take you to an upper room where Rabbi... Yeshua Jesus is eating his last supper on earth with his disciples. John 14 is one of the greatest chapters. If you want to look, I mean, the whole book of John, we just stay there so much because of the revelation of Christ. John 14 is one of the greatest revelations 
of who Jesus is. Because he wants to impart that to his disciples, which will impart it to the church. The last night, he waits. Some of the things that he said in the 14th chapter of John, he did not say in his whole ministry. And why is that? Because he wants them to know something that is so extraordinary about himself. And he's getting ready to leave. Listen, he's going to order them a commission. Some like to call it the Great Commission. How many has ever heard of the Great Commission? Okay. We heard of it the other day. We're working for a guy. I believe he's a brother. He just, he just, no, what we need to do is the Great Commission. That's, that's what the church is about, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And so then we construe what the Great Commission is about. But I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on the Great Commission. It's not an obligation to save the world. You do not have an obligation to save the world. And it's almost like whether they want it or not, you have the obligation to save them. That's foolish. Jesus sent his men out from city to city and said, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. If the world doesn't want to be saved, brother, you're not going to save them. So we got this idea hanging over the church. It's almost like this, this crushing mantle that fell on us that, that we can't even bear the weight of it. If sinners go to hell, it's the church's fault. It is not the church's fault. The Lord doesn't even command the church to go out and coerce sinners to raise their hand and to say a prayer so that we can deem over them that they are saved. The Lord has nothing to do with that. Where the church got that idea, I do not know. I'm not going to ask a single one of you to raise your hand and say a prayer this morning because unless you have a revelation of who Jesus is, all you've done is said a prayer and you have been churched. Anybody ever heard that term, being churched? That's exactly what happens. I have some good friends of mine that took his kids to church when they were babies. And they all got baptized. And they really never even went back much. The children grew up and they didn't go. They, but everybody saved. They got church. They did not get saved. You can't get saved by a pastor by, by his word or by, by his, his baptizing, by his sanction over your life. You don't get saved that way. There's only one way you get saved, and that is by the knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Until you know him and recognize him as the Savior who can wash your sins away, you're not getting saved. So the church has put together a commission that really is impossible for us to carry out. And what we've ended up with is we've created little church groups, one against another. And you come over here and we'll save you this way. And you come over here and we'll save you that way. And I believe the Lord in heaven is just 
spewing out of his mouth. He's just throwing up over this. That is not the commission of God. I release you this morning from that obligation. You have an obligation to save no one. We used to hear songs about if people go to hell, the blood's on your hands. Not on my hands. Let me tell you this, you can't save anybody anyway. There is no way you can bring somebody to salvation. But the great commission is this, is that you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. That you go into your world first. You don't need to go in the world until you go into your world. Well, what's my world? The people you know, the people around you, the people that have not heard the gospel. Somehow you can get that gospel to them. That is the only commission of your life, not to go out here and save Africa. You don't need to worry about going and saving places across the world. What you need to do is minister in your world. And how is that? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you know him, you found him. He's delivered you. He's saved you. He's washed you. He's He's changed your life. That alone is enough to speak to a sinner that they can find this same Jesus too. Can you say amen? And so, making disciples. Making disciples. How do we make disciples? I can't know. We make disciples in church. Okay. We don't save people here. God does the saving, but we preach about being a disciple of Jesus. Can you say amen? We get up and we preach this is what the Lord's about. This, this is what he's done. This is what he can do in your life. This is what needs to happen in your life. And we make disciples of men. We were in that process some years ago. We have people here that were in the discipleship, and that's exactly what we did. We didn't save them. We didn't make them. We didn't mold them. We just told them of the goodness of God. We instructed them about how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it works. That's what works, not separating ourselves into little church groups here and there and everywhere, and God come to Claremore, and he's got a pick of uh, 50 churches that he's going to go to this morning, and which doctrine he's going to go to, and, and, and which worship he's going to go to, and I think it has just distorted the commission of God. The commission of God is just go out there and preach the gospel and make disciples those that would follow Jesus Christ. And that is the commission for you and I. Can you say amen? Amen. But Going back to the upper room, they were not ready. They were not ready. They didn't know the Lord even though they had been with Him. Right there in John 14. How long a time have I been with you and you don't know me? These guys have been in some mighty services. We've never yet, and I know there's some churches, there's church in Reading that, that bragged of this. I don't believe them. But they bragged that bread was multiplied and that roast in the oven were multiplied and that toys in the nursery were multiplied and they had all kinds of multiplying going on. I don't believe any of that. But these men took bread in their hands and fed thousands. These guys went from town to town casting out devils. The problem was they had been with him. 
but they didn't have a personal revelation of him. This is Peter's problem, denying the Lord. He doesn't, he's heard the revelation of God, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, but he just hasn't received the revelation himself. And so we can sit in church and, and so the Lord's going to do something. It's going to look like what happened with the bush. It's going to look like what happened way back in the wilderness. Okay, men, take your shoes off. And, and I'm, you know, would be sympathetic to the Lord here. These guys had dirty feet. I don't want to go too far with that, but I've there's stuff that gets in your toes and whatnot when you're walking dusty roads in sandals and your feet get warm. And but the Lord says, "Men, take off your shoes." Now, I'm going to tell you this. I don't believe it was just to clean your feet. I don't believe it was just to show servanthood by the Lord. He's getting ready. Like Moses is going to receive a revelation of God he never had. These men are getting ready to receive a revelation that they don't personally have. I think it's in type of what happened with Moses, the disciples... We're just going to remove that which may stand between the disciples. Jesus could have said to them, get your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Because of the revelation that he's about to give. Because of his imminent presence that is there. He could have said the same thing to them. You're on holy ground. They took their shoes off. Their feet were washed Peter says, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Some years ago, Brother Danny, um, yeah, can't hear you. Dylan, Danny Dylan. We had service. He was here. Not here. He was in Anderson. He had come and preached to us, and he said, I want to do something before I leave. And he brought out a pail of water and said, I want to wash the pastor's feet. And, um, you know, just a sign of just humility and, and bless. My feet weren't dirty. I took a shower that morning. And uh, so, you know, that was good. And I just turned around and said, are you going to wash my feet? I'm going to wash your feet too. Um, just showing that, you know, I'm no better than him. He's a young preacher and I'm an older preacher, but, you know, but we're in the same kingdom. Amen. We're doing the same thing. And uh, we washed each other's feet. And, and it, you know, it's, it's a time of blessing and respect. But I don't think the Lord there is, is only going to just wash their feet to show them that he can be a servant. I think he's getting ready for something. Let, let me give it to you this way. That same night that he took the towel and he washed their feet, that same night they were at supper. And... He begins to say to them, you guys are going to need something because I'm going away. And I'm going to give you something that's going to work for you. 
the sixth verse, and we've just, we've just gone over it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we've sang it in songs. But you don't realize the impact of what he's saying. That first two, two little words there, I am, goes back to the burning bush. Can you say amen? I am. I am, first of all, the only way. Well, Smiley Joe, don't you think there's another way? Well, there's some, you know, Jesus is the best way. You're a devil. You're anointed of the devil. Jesus Christ is the only way. There is no other way. He's the only way. I am the only way. And these disciples, you mean going back down to the temple and having sacrifice again and going through the priesthood and all that stuff? No, no, that's not a way. I am, he waits till the last night. I am the only way. I am the one single truth. If you don't understand this, life and, and creation is not about you it's not about this earth, the things that are in this earth. It's about Him. It's created by Him and for Him and through Him. And because of Him, nothing is created that was not created for Him. He is the one single truth. I said, well, there's other truths. No, there's not. There's just one truth. And His name is I Am. There's just one life. There's one giver of life. There's not several things. There's, there, there, there is no other life that came into being. Planets crashed somewhere out in the abyss, and, and then they, particles went everywhere, and life began to spring up, and that's how we're here. It just all evolved into life. That's a bunch of baloney. God created it. He put it together. He established it. He gave it life. Jesus is the life. John, the first chapter, there is no life without him. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of breath. He's the giver of life and salvation. He is the giver of eternal life to those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the only life. He is the source of it. Can you say amen? And so these disciples are like, wow. They haven't heard this before. They're almost there until Philip pipes up and says, Lord, if you'll show us the Father, we'll be set to go. And that's when Jesus said, how long have I been with you and you do not know who I am? Now, I've heard a lot of explanations about this scripture. A lot of thoughts about there being separate placements of God's Son Father and Spirit. I've heard a lot about that, a lot of explanation, but I just can't find one in the Scripture. When I read that, it's just face value. It's like somebody said, what does that mean? When Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. Isn't there some kind of, can we go into the Greek on that? Yeah, and I did. You know what it is? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can do whatever you want to with that. You can try and explain it away. You can try and blend it into a doctrine somewhere. 
But you never will receive the, the, the fullness of who Jesus is with those shoes on. You go to those shoes and you wear those shoes. I'm telling you, the church has been wearing shoes for 2,000 years that don't line up with the Scripture. And it's about time we take the shoes off and get the revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. Get over into Hebrews, the first chapter, and there we, we begin to read and explain away. Well, he's not really the radiance himself. He's just the mirror of the radiance. Show me that in the Scripture. He is the radiance of God. Well, he's not really. He's just acting as the character of the Father. No, he is the character of the hypostasis of God. He really is the Lord God, Yahweh. He really is I am. He really is the one who was at the burning bush take off your shoes he's really the one who was in the upper room take off your shoes and he's looking at the church today and saying to the church get your shoes off so you can get a revelation of who I am Peter if you don't get your shoes off you're not going to be a part of me. I would say that to us this morning. You walk in the same old shoes, same old disgusting theories and ideas and dogmas that grandma somewhere back there somewhere told me. You don't get those shoes off, you'll never, never get a revelation of who he is. Don't shout me down when I'm doing really good. I'm about to stop. Will you shout now? Let me just throw this in here, okay? Judas Iscariot, he got his feet washed, but he didn't get a revelation of Christ. In fact, he exited the building before the revelation came. Down there with the priest, get him 30 pieces of silver. I don't know what church has really been about in his life. It's been about money. That's all he's about is money. John said, I hate him. He's a thief anyway. The disciples knew, and Jesus knew. But he gives Judas an opportunity, washes his feet. Can you imagine? He goes into the high priest there, and they pay him off. And on his way out, and that's just speculation, one of them said to him, hey, have you got a new servant? You better keep him. Whoever he is, you have really clean feet. It all begins to crash down on him that he's been in church, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. It's so weighty and heavy for him that he doesn't find any way of escape and goes out and hangs himself. That's what the church is going to do without the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're just going to hang yourself. That's all you're going to do. Amen. So anyway, if we're going to go on a commission, we've got to know who sent us. Who shall we say sent us? I want to tell you who to say. The I Am sent us. Yeshua has sent us in His name. He is I Am. 
See, I'm convinced that the church system will continue to waller in traditional inherited churchiness as long as it wears the same old shoes of revelation. Pretty buildings. The lighting effects are just right. The newest state-of-art sound systems. Soft seating. Climate-controlled atmosphere. Cutting-edge youth programs. The latest androgynous androgynous music. Anybody know androgynous? New term to me. It just simply means something that can swing both ways. And smooth words from an effeminate preacher. Let me tell you this. God's not in any of it. He's not in pretty buildings. He's not in climate control. He is not in soft seats. He's not in cutting edge stuff for our kids. He's just not in it. He's in the gospel. He's in the revelation of who he is. He's not in the revelation of traditional orthodox churchanity. And I finally, at the age of 67 in my life, I'm fed up with it. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. God is not moving in churchanity. He's moving in revelation of who he is and who he is exclusively. Exclusively. That's all he's moving in. So, well, Pastor, that's your opinion. Yep, and I'm going to keep it. If we go to church to fulfill our religious commitment, we're comfortable for a while. We leave out of there the same way we came in. We just got churched. Conversely, if we meet together for the right reason, and we know that our spiritual feet are a little dirty, and we need to get our spiritual shoes off and receive the manifest presence revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be readied for the kingdom service in our life. And I'm going to end with this. What would the Lord say to this church today? Now, I'm not going to talk about, well, I already mentioned Baptists and Pentecostals. So I'm not going to talk about them. Let's talk about EOC. Everybody say EOC. And whatever that means, right? That's us. So the Lord would say to us today, he would say this. Is this group of believers done worrying about what other churches and other parishioners think about us because until we are we're going to try and set a standard that others can look at and that they can see echoes of Calvary for what it is and its standards of churchanity just like everybody else perfect all over this town just the same thing we're just doing something a little different Is it still important to us that we practice traditional church customs and dogmas? Is that important to us? Because if it is, then that's what we're going to be looking for instead of the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like I said, Matt, I was out there Sunday night. I'm telling you what, that that touched my heart. 
And it wasn't holy ground for Bundy's. Do you remember me making this comment? If this is all we had, would it be enough? We can't do that. There's no way we can do that. We have to have a church. We have to have a building. We have to have the stuff. We have to, to have to have, you know, just exactly what we've known and done for 2,000 years. And if we deviate from that at all, people are going to look at us and say, those guys are kind of weird and crazy. And all I'm saying is, if you know, if we need to come together, and I told Ronnie this the other day. You know, when, when Jesus took his disciples out of that upper room, they sang an old hymn. He preached to them first. We can't do that. It's not what we do. We sing first. <laughs> he preached first, and then they went out. They sang a song, a hymn, and then they prayed at the end. See, we've got, no, the orthodoxy doesn't do not uh -uh, We didn't do that. It's about time that we begin to listen to the heart of the Lord and not the heart of the people. Otherwise, we're doing it for people instead of the Lord. Come on, say amen. I don't want to do it for people anymore. I love you all. And we're all going to, we're going to try and accommodate whatever we need to accommodate and do all those things, you know, and that's all good. But there is one primary purpose, and it's not called church. It's called getting before the Lord and getting a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's all I want in my life. I want his revelation because I'm not going to make it through church. I'm going to make it through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Moses, Peter, church, if you don't get your shoes off, you'll never know who he is. Would you stand with me? And Lord, we just pray right now. God, this is, this is a sombering moment for us. Lord, it's sometimes... I'm told that we preach hard. I don't know. I just, I just believe, Lord, that finding you 